argues over their man, their party, their rights, etc., etc. What we have been called to is a citizenship above the madness, a national identity and politic that fits in any place under any government with any group. In the heart of a champion. And I say that as a way of introducing part two of our discussion with Graham Glover is the world really falling apart, or does it just feel that way? So how have you felt about this recording there, Easy Target? Seeing as how we've got the benefit of, of hindsight through the recording, you know, having it all completed, this was maybe eye-opening to, to see some of the ways that I used to see things and how the Lord has grown to the point to where I'm at now, but now being able to see, okay, this is why this is such a big deal. This this is why this is a problem, how damaging it is to have the wrong viewpoints and to be pursuing after the, the wrong goals and the wrong means to an end. Uh, it, it hinders our ability to, to live for the kingdom life, which is what we're called to do. And so it's definitely a necessary discussion to have and some open and honest self-evaluation is needed as well. Well, everybody else hasn't listened to part two yet. They're about to. Yep. And we do appreciate you listening. Whether it's uh, your first time or you've been with us many times or this will make your last time. <laughs> but I wanted to share this by way of introducing uh, part two. Philip Yancey in Christians and Politics, Uneasy Partners. He starts with a quote by Nietzsche. Be careful, warned Nietzsche, lest in fighting the dragon you become the dragon. I see the confusion of politics and religion as one of the greatest barriers to grace. C.S. Lewis once said that almost all crimes of Christian history have come about when religion is confused with politics. Politics, which always runs by the rules of ungrace, allures us to trade away grace for power, a temptation the church has often been unable to resist. Very well put, and I will only add that in my own reflections on this to, to teach others I have noticed that in the New Testament, the Pharisees, that they were the strict religious sect of that time, but the Pharisees despised the Roman government, and the Roman government loathed the religious leaders of Israel. And as I look at that, in Scripture, the one thing that brought them together, church and state, was the eradication of the true Messiah. Mm-hmm. They agreed on that. Why? So we could either get our version Religiously speaking, we want our version to be number one, or the state just doesn't want it. You know, they'll they they'll pacify as long as this this Messiah business is done. And the eradication of the true Messiah, Jesus Himself, was what brought quote church and state together in the New Testament age of the gospel. So I think we have to be careful about that, and and that's really what we're after. Uh, we want to be able to truly say with the Apostle Paul, as he wrote in Philippians three. Verse 20 and 21, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. With that being said, let's go right to part two and welcome Graham Glover back. Uh, and let's pick it up where we left off last time. We, I know we won't cover all the topics that that I've referenced earlier, but I see a lead into another one that I think is very important and that I know Graham has some helpful insight to. When the Texas school shooting happened, and it really just stirred my heart about those little children that were that were killed and, and, and got me on the track of the government's role in changing some things. And I'm just going to come right out and say it the best way I know how. For whatever reason, I was, I wouldn't say, I guess it's not right to say I was asleep on the issue, but I was a little disconnected with the issue. And if you would have asked me, you know, say six months ago, should everybody have the right to, well, let's use my analogy earlier, walk around in the grocery store with their AR-15s because, well, we're Americans then I, I would have said, well, I, yeah, I guess they do. I mean, it's, it's our right. But i got to tell you, my heart has shifted on this a lot. And I think there's a place for doing something about the gun violence in our country. So I don't even know what question I'm asking, except, Graham, help us out. What are we as Christian men supposed to do here? Because I got a lot, most of my friends are gun-toting, concealed carry permit-possessing, ammo stockpiling I'm, I'm getting a little facetious, but not totally. Man, you're really about to open this whole can of worms right here. <laughs> I'm right. just opening it up. Um, Pop it right <laughs> off. All right. And for the record, I have guns and handguns and whatnot, too. But where's the balance here? So, well, Mike, I, I wish I had that answer. This issue of gun violence is a uniquely American problem. I mean, you don't have these issues in other countries. You mm-hmm. just don't. Um, and, you know, if there is an issue that I would probably be on the, uh, left wing about most, it would be this issue. I recognize that, uh, there is a right to keep and bear arms, um, and, you know, we all have different ways of interpreting that amendment. Uh, I am one who doesn't believe that it means that you can have an AR-15, or, you know, uh, that, that, that the government does have a responsibility and a role in saying, well, okay, you know, we can't tell you that you can't have 25 shotguns and 18 rifles and six, you know, uh, pistols, or I'm just making numbers up here. Um, but those aren't the weapons being used in these school shootings. In, in Uvalde, this young man was 18 years old and went and purchased these, you know, this weapon, what, a day or two before the event occurred. As I understand it, put some of it on credit. Uh, you know, some people want to say, well, we have a mental health problem. Well, of course we do, right? And we, we have a sin problem too. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> If we don't do something, I, I want to say do something. I mean, th- th- there are more guns in this country than anywhere else. You, you, you're not going to go in and take them away. So that'll never happen. And I know people have speculated and, 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 and used that as, you know, to say, hey, that, that, that's going to happen. But, I mean, it is a marketplace. It is a big business. And people want them. They love them. And I think people look to guns as just this 
It has almost become their identity, their hope. Um, and I think that's a problem. I think our we, we've got a sickness with guns in this country. And I, I would put a lot of regulations in place, but then I would also say those alone aren't going to fix it, right? A la the abortion conversation. Mm. I mean, we, we, we could we could go back to an assault weapons ban that, that was in place before that I think did a lot of great things for this country and the sense expired and uh, now that's no longer there. Yeah, so Mike, I, you know, it's, uh, I think what's troubling to me, you know, to kind of bring this into the conversation is, is I, I get troubled when I see my Christian brothers get so emphatic and so fired up on their ability to have as much weaponry as they can, as much ammunition as they can, and they want no restrictions. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, can we not have a conversation about this? You know, I'm, I, I do the same thing with people, you know, who are on the opposite side of the abortion issue. You, you just, you know, talk about abortion on demand. I'm like, well, can, can we just have a conversation about eliminating some, you know, mm-hmm. parental notification, spousal notification, you know, hey, how about, Maybe let's start at 15 weeks or 18 weeks, right? Maybe six weeks is a little too, too restrictive, but can, can, like, let's just, can we sit down and find a way to have some common sense conversation? I see a lot though in our, in our conservative uh, Christian circles who just, man, they're so fired up on these, on this gun thing. And I, I just don't get it. Um, and I understand I'm probably an outlier here on this. So um well, no, no. Even even though you know, I, I I think Easy Target and I, well, I don't I don't want to speak for you. I, I I will say this: I'm closer to where you are now than I was a year ago, but I've been moving that direction over a period of time, if that makes sense. And and I agree that it baffles me. It baffles me that that seems to be one of the things that people, Christians, are most passionate about. And, and like you're saying, there is no room for conversation. Doors closed. It's like guns and sports and NASCAR or whatever. I mean, I've seen the shirts, you know, the flag and the family and the faith and the firearms, you know. Again, I'm getting my little, my, my voice going here. But I'm, and, and that, that might be the order it's in, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Flag, firearms, family, and faith, or something well, there, like there, that. There was a, what, a gal who was running for governor in Georgia, I think. She lost in the primary to their current incumbent, Brian Kemp, uh, who I think will win re-election this coming November. And, I mean, basically her, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think like her, her, her campaign slogan was, you know, God's guns and babies. <laughs> wow. I, I just, I, well, I, okay. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, <laughs> the Lord I know about, the Lord I've read about, the Jesus who I read in the in the Gospels was not a gun-toting guy. <laughs> I mean, obviously there weren't guns then, but I mean, this this wasn't a violent guy. In fact, you know, I mean, we can. <laughs> he was antithetical to that, right? I mean. Yeah. We I've used this verse before, I think, with you on the podcast, but I'm going to go back to it. Jesus is standing before Pilate. He is bound, and Pilate is questioning him. Are you a king or not? Are you leading this revolution? What's going on? And Jesus' answer is, my kingdom's not of this world. If my mm-hmm. kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered. But my kingdom is not from here. I mean, like, how more clear does it get than that? 
But then we have January 6, 2021, that we're all still trying to figure out what in the world happened. Mm-hmm. Like where I stand on this, so I guess between the three of us, you've got you've got progression. You know, because I'm probably further to the right than than either of the other two of you he all. He still but, believes in hand grenades. Uh, no. <laughs> but I will say, to to the point that I have come to, if the government was to show up at my door and say, look, give us all of your firearms or we're going to shoot you where you stand, I'm not I'm not dying for my my Second Amendment rights, so to speak, because I know that's that's the big thing that I hear so many conservative Christians say. Well, if we don't do this, then the government's going to come in and do X, Y, and Z. Who is that government? I don't mean to interrupt you here, but I've always found that perplexing when, when my conservative friends say, "Well, the government's going to come take our guns." I'm like, "Well, well, who? Well, the government. Yeah, yeah, but but who in the government?" <laughs> I mean, like the military, because those guys are pretty conservative. The yeah. police, because those guys are pretty conservative. ICE agents, FBI, like everybody that is the government that has law enforcement or military capability are pretty conservative folks. I just don't see them doing that. No, right? that's, a, that's an excellent point. <laughs> yeah. and... But exactly. I mean, even even hypothetically, if that did come, I mean, to me, that's not something that's not something worth dying for to the effect that if the same quote-unquote government was to come to me and say, hey, listen, you need to recant the name of Jesus Christ or we're going to shoot you where you stand. Right, well, to me, that's a completely different consideration altogether than whether or not I can have a handgun in my, in my drawer. You know, but I think where I come from is, is the whole thing. So to me, this kind of seems a lot more like prohibition in the early 1900s. It, it's impossible to regulate. It's, it's such a big thing that if you were to come in and outlaw and ban this, you're going to have people that are like, well, whatever, we're going to continue to do whatever it is that we're going to do. So on the one hand, part of me wants to be like, yes, we have to do something. There there needs to be some kind of, you know, I hate to use the word, I guess regulation is the only word that I can think of, but yes, there has to be something that is done to try to help with this problem, but then you scratch your head and it almost feels like whatever it is that you try to do it's almost like it's almost like trying to build a snowman in July. You know, you might get a little bit together and eventually it's going to melt and you're, there's nothing there to do anything with because it's such a, a monumental problem. We'll call it the Olaf. Yeah. The Olaf yeah. controversy. Well, I, I mean, I would say we, we have no other choice but to, but to keep trying. And, and, and I, tell me another country in this world that has this problem like we do. I'm not saying there aren't gun violence in other kind. I'm not. I'm not at all. Or that. But you don't have school shootings like we do here. It's a problem. So I. To do nothing is not the answer. Sure. And you know, even I mean, I think you know the legislation that just passed recently that you know had, had bipartisan support, not a lot, but some. Um, certainly needed to get out of the Senate that the president signed. You know, that's not going to change the world, but it's something. And I just say you, 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 we got to keep working at it. You mentioned that there's this isn't a problem in other countries. So, is it the Second Amendment of our Constitution that has, I don't want to say created the problem, but maybe expedited the problem to where it is, you know, to this, or or are there other underlying things that have helped to attribute to getting us to where we're an anomaly in the rest of the world? I I think so. Yeah. I mean, I you know. It, you don't have the market for firearms 
around the world that you do? And I'm not talking, you know, for, amongst you know crime, just you know your every day. But it is, it is part of our, you know, American DNA to 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 want our own weaponry and, and to protect that right. I mean, it makes sense as to how this country was founded and the and the dynamics that went behind America coming into existence. I understand it. Um, but, you know, I talk about the First Amendment, you know, guaranteeing our right to free speech, our right to worship, uh, you know, right to a free press as being our greatest right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, the, the founders put this as number two. <laughs> uh, now, we can have a debate on, you know, what, what that means to have a well-regulated militia. And uh, there, there, there's, there's going to be, de- you can debate it, but it certainly was a priority of the founders. And I think it's just been part of our culture in ways that isn't found uh, and other parts of the world. So we went from abortion to gun violence, but we now have this very good transition, built-in transition to Christian nationalism. Because mm-hmm. what we've been touching on here is a lot of our Christian brothers who say, it's my freedom, I have a right, and the government needs to follow our lead. So we just have an article that actually Easy Target here shared with me that came out today. Um, it was in a CNN um, opinion piece or whatever about Republican Representative Margie Taylor Green. But there's a quote here I read from Colorado Republican Representative Lauren Bobert. But listen to what it says. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk. Now, that's a quote, direct quote from a government leader. <laughs> I'm no, tired. Mike, Mike, there, there is nothing that sickens me more as an American and a Christian to hear nonsense like that. Thank you. I, I, I mean, it, it is, it, 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 well, first of all, it's antithetical to the entire scriptures, certainly the New Testament, and to our Lord. And, and like I would ask Congresswoman Boebert, you know, so, so which church? Right. I mean, yeah, you know, there the you Catholic go. Church, the Baptist Church, the Independent Baptist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Episcopalian Church, because which church, church are you talking about here? Right. <laughs> but, but they don't want to give us that conversation. Right. Um, or this whole, you know, Jesus is an American and G- uh, I, I mean, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know we've said this before. You know, I, I, I love my country. I would die for my country. If the United States of America ceases to exist tomorrow. Uh, okay, you know, because I, I, I am a I am a child of God, right? And my 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 salvation, my hope, my promise has nothing to do with me being an American. Zero, zip, zilch, nothing. We are to consider ourselves as pilgrims. Our home is is in heaven. Our home is in the eternal, and uh, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth made one of these days. And we are just here to uh, get prepared for that and help others find that path. But it's a problem, Mike. This, this, this idea that people like Congresswoman Green and Boebert mm-hmm. are championing is is real. Now, I don't know how many people actually believe this nonsense, um, but <laughs> to go back to the beginning in this digital age, right? This is the stuff that's out there. Um, and it's, people think this is, this is true, right? That we we are, you know, we should be this 
Christian nation, which I've never understood. I mean, again, I'd say what type of Christian nation? Do you want to be like the, the Catholics of Maryland? Do you want to be like the Anabaptists? Do you want to be like the, the Quakers, the Puritans, the Presbyterians, the Methodists? Well, I can tell I you, mean, what, you know, whatever yeah. group they're out of. Let's get out of the Christian talk too, right? I mean, you know, there are a lot of great Muslim Americans and Hindu Americans and Jewish Americans who are champions for many issues that, that, that we hold dear to our heart. So this Christian nationalism, right or wrong, team? Wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's no rightness in it. Well, the Mike, 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 take this to something, though, as simple as, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but, you know, people say to me, you know, we need prayer back in the schools. Okay, I mean, that, that sounds nice. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not opposed to prayer, obviously. <laughs> um, my children have done public schools, Lutheran parochial schools, Department of Defense schools, and we've homeschooled them, right? So they, they've had it all. They're now, they're now both in public schools in, in their high school education. Um, but, okay, we want a prayer in school. Well, well who's going to pray? Mm -hmm. And, you know, are, are, are you going to be okay, Mike, uh, as an independent Baptist preacher with your kids being taught to pray by a Lutheran? Or how about if the teacher was Roman Catholic? Mm -hmm. Or I don't know, what if the teacher was Muslim? You going to mm -hmm. be okay with that? That's prayer in school. Well, no, we just need Christian prayer. Okay, well, again, I mean, what type of Christian prayer? Um, you know, and is, is the public school the place for this to be, right? We don't live, we live in a pluralistic country and a pluralistic world. That's just a reality. That's not going to change. So, you know, when people say, hey, we need to Christianize our country and we need prayer in schools, right? just take that as a small example. Okay, who's going to pray and who's going to teach them to pray? And what are you going to do when you don't like that prayer? Mm -hmm. So when we, what we actually are drilling down on here is we say, we, we, we jump on, we, I'm talking generalizations here, we jump on whichever side of the fence of separation of church and state based upon whether or not the government's going to support our cause or not. Yes. But once they're mm -hmm. not going to support our cause, then, mm -hmm. yeah, hey, 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 separation of church and state here. That's a good point. Actually, we just really do need a separation of church and state. They both have a clearly identified role in God's order of things. The thing that I wish more people understood and that we could do is somebody else's worship does not impact my worship so long as their worship does not prohibit me from worshiping. Well, like, it sounds like you're quoting a, a, a something like an amendment or something. Yeah, like, you know, the first one. <laughs> you know, if if my faith is so weak that a Muslim individual at whatever the appointed hour is, you know, stops everything and gets down in the middle of the hallway to do his prayers, if my faith is so weak that that offends me, then I have issues because in the grand scheme of things, him getting down there and praying does not prohibit me from bowing down my head and praying to Jesus and thanking him for what he's done for me and for giving me hope and for giving me life. But it is a completely different thing if the school was to come up to me or the workplace or the, you know, again, the government was to come up to me and say, okay, we're going to allow Muslim prayers, we're going to allow this, that, or the other, but you can't bow your head. Well, then that's a different item altogether, but unfortunately... It seems like we as Christians have been the one that have been doing that. Well, we mm. as the, let's just say we as Christian nationalists have been the ones doing that. Yeah. Mm. It's funny, though, because you're talking about 
I ought to be comfortable enough or secure enough in my faith that I'm not bothered. We've got a, a fellow here at the undisclosed location that's so confident in his faith, it didn't bother him to walk up to a Muslim at prayer time on the streets of New York and offer him a oh. bottle of water. <laughs> And a chicken biscuit. Hey, can I give you something to eat there, buddy? Dude, he's praying. He's going to strangle you. Leave him alone. But anyway, that's a great point. I mean, just to take it to something as practical, simple, and and something we've heard so much about prayer in schools. And it dates back, I think, about as long as the Roe versus Wade decision. Yeah. You know, but yeah. what are we? What are we? Who's stopping us from praying? Yes. I mean, what are we wanting the government to sanction and bless? These are all good questions to consider. I guess, what do we say to our brothers? Now, I know there's people that take the name of Jesus that are not true followers of Jesus. But just for a moment, let's let's think about our brothers who are just swept up in this because it's been what they've been taught, what they've had modeled to them. What do we say to them to offer them a way out or to entice them to think about the possibility that, hey, maybe this is not right? What, what do we offer them? What counsel can we give right now? How do we get them out of the Christian nationalism? nationalism well i mean i think you just start with the the gospels uh and this is clearly not the way of the one that they claim to believe is the son of god that was not his message it was not his words it was not his way it was not his example um i think you start there uh, and, and I think you challenge them on, you know, what we've started and continue to come back to in this conversation today is, hey, brother, wh- what is your hope in? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, whether it's make America great or I want to take my country back or we're going to make our, you know, whatever the political mantra is, I, I don't even, like, what does that mean? And do you ever really think that you're going to create the perfect panacea, the perfect government, the perfect culture? Because tell me a time when it has ever been like that. And they can't. It's simply not there. And you not just got to. You got to take them back. I mean, ultimately, Mike, you just got to take them back to the scriptures. I mean, because the, the scriptures answer this. It's the, the, There is no call to nationalism. There is no call to, I mean, obviously, America. Um, this is not the way of Jesus, and um, I mean, th- there is not an example given in the New Testament that even alludes to this. Right. And, and in fact, as you said, I mean, it is quite clear that the government and the church have two clear, distinct purposes and roles. Um, and it's the mixing of them and the confusion of them, I think, that it is the cause of, of, of much uh, problems now and, and and in history. So, I think the scriptures can answer. I think history can answer. But I think just challenging them too. Um, well, I will I will add to that. All that I agree with, and it, it 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 prompts me to think too. While there's no call for nationalism in the scriptures, as you just said, there is quite a bit about patriotism, and what we can do when we're trying to call people out of this ideology that's confusing and and creating some havoc in the name of Jesus, which is not right, what we can do is we can at the same time bless patriotism. We can say, you know what? It's good to be a patriot. It's good to be thankful for the country that you are a part of, and it's right to serve your, your country and defend your country against wrong. It's right to 
you know, be, be thankful for the freedom that you have and to participate in that freedom uh, with gratitude. And so I think blessing the patriotism maybe helps redirect the focus a little bit uh, away from the nationalism, which is sort of the perverted, poisoned, uh, you know, falsehood. I think that's great. My, uh, that, you know, talk about a next conversation. You know, what is the difference between patriotism and nationalism? Mm-hmm. That's, that's some good dialogue right there. Jesus was patriotic, mm-hmm. and Paul was patriotic, and David was patriotic, and on and on and on it goes. And, uh, and there's certainly the call for that. You know, Paul's letters to all these Gentiles, they were not from Israel, but he told them, be good citizens. He told the Romans, you know, be good citizens. Paul said this sitting in prison, knowing that uh, he was likely going to, that same government was going to put him to death. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he told Timothy, hey, pray for the king. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to pray for the king. Wow. The only thing that I would say, to me it seems so many times, especially when it comes with like Christian nationalists, it almost seems like they're, they're fighting a fight out of desperation. We have to do this so that we can be victorious. If we do not fight, we will lose. And a verse that has helped me so much you know, transition out of that mindset has been Romans 8.37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Mm-hmm. So the Christian nationalist is fighting out of fear of losing the battle. But the battle that we should be fighting has already been won. You know, yes, I should seek to serve my country. I, I want to provide the best life possible for my for my children, for my community, for, you know, for my family. And, and all of that, I have that responsibility but the main thing that I can do is teach my children, listen, we already have victory. We already have a hope to anchor in on. We're not fighting a losing fight, and we're not fighting against the people on the other side of the equation. You know, the people on the other side of the platform, they're not our enemies. They're not the ones that are trying to bring the demise of their country. In fact, so many times the vast majority of them are actually trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do. They're fighting for what they feel is the best thing to do. And so if we can look past that and we can talk, there will be some disagreements and some disagreements. There'll be some disagreements and there'll be some, you know, some friction and some conflict. And all of that is fine. But my attitude and my joy and my peace will remain so long as I remember I'm already more than a conqueror. And that will better enable me to be the Christian, the patriot, the father, the son, the brother, the minister that I need to be in this life. Well, I'll get my attitude right when they get their attitude right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, I don't know that, I, like, I mean, like, I, 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 can we just conclude on that? I mean, I did, it's not going to get better than what was just said. No, we can't, because i got to oh. ask you one other thing, because <laughs> okay. while we got you here. But, yes, we do need to conclude, but i got to hit you with this, Okay. And it's your fault because you mentioned it earlier somehow and made me write a note down. i got to ask Graham. By the way, I've got a new phrase. Uh, when Graham was talking earlier, you said something about grandstanding. He, you said, yeah. I'm just kind of, And I thought we could rephrase this. Now we want some Graham standing. Yeah. So what I'm <laughs> asking right. for now is some Graham standing. I want to gotcha. know, President, who am I going to have to pick from in 2024? Wow. You know, I am neither the, a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I really am not yet convinced that Donald Trump is going to run. I'm also, 
I don't know if President Biden will run again. It is baffling to me that we're looking at two men who were essentially in their 80s as the best we got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How is this happening, right? There are a lot of good, smart people on both sides of the aisle. Um, I tell you, a woman I would love to see uh, on the national scene one day is, is Liz Cheney. Uh, man, I, I disagree with her on quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't question her love of country uh, yeah. or her desire uh, to try to do good. And even if I was disagreeing with her more than 50% of the time, man, somebody like that is somebody uh, that I think would do uh, the Oval Office proud. Um, I don't know, partner. Man, I, I, I just don't know. I, I, think, I, I think Trump is a grifter, so I think he's just going to keep running until he you know, as long as they can make money. But I'm not even convinced that he would get the nomination. Oh, I, I tell you what, if the Republicans think, want to lose, they'll nominate him because yeah. I, think, I think he would guarantee that the Democrats win re-election. I think they would win if they don't nominate him in 2024, the Republicans. Well, let me throw one at you then. Before, yeah. Right before you go, i got to get yeah. your take on this. So I'm, I'm thinking of a ticket. It could be a dream ticket. I wanted to put my mm. name on it as vice president, but I figured that's mm. unrealistic. So... Okay. What do you think for vice president? We get Stephen Mansfield, okay, and and then for president we get. All right, all right, all right. What do you think about Matthew McConaughey? A McConaughey Mansfield <laughs> ticket for our. All right, for all our right, vice all right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, I'm being a little humorous on that, but uh, I gotta tell you, the rumblings are out there. You know, I, I mean, if you would have said what, six years ago that Trump would have been elected or seven years ago when he first, I would have been like, yeah, in no way. So <laughs> my, my political predictions are are, 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 are garbage. Well, um, if Matthew McConaughey listens to this episode and mm. he wants to talk to me about my thoughts, just uh, hit us up at Code of Man Gen 127 at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> Well, Graham, uh, we certainly put you on the spot with a lot of these questions, but they're hard questions that we all have friends that will listen that will disagree with us, but I hope what we've modeled here is the importance of having conversations about tough things and and understanding and realizing that there's a place we need to get to where we're actually helping people for the cause of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, for the name of Christ, and that that's ultimately our, our goal And so uh, thanks for being willing to come and get put on the spot again. Love it. Let's do it again soon. We're going to get it marked down. So uh, to all our listeners out there, by the way, those still looking for Napoleon, say hello. (laughs) And uh, God bless you. We'll see you next time. In the heart of a champion.
in the heart of a champion.